So, good morning. I actually speak in, a, I preach in Chinese more than I preach in English. This is going to be a little different for me. I know it doesn't look like that. My Chinese name is Mao Dalong, for those of you who do know Chinese. And so it means, uh, when I originally picked the name, is uh, the standard I used was actually quite simple when we first moved to uh, China. The reason is uh, Mao means fuzzy, right? Or furry. Well, I am furry, so that's Mao. That's the reason for that. And I was taller than most people in the first city we went to in China, so da, right? It made sense. And then I was born in Year of the Dragon, so it translated into English, it's the big fuzzy dragon, was my original Chinese name. For my brothers and sisters in China, however, though, some people were very sensitive to the idea of a dragon. I thought they were just cute and funny when I was a kid, so we changed it from dragon to prosperity, so long zhong da long, so it'd be a different character, but it's same, same pronunciation. So my name is Jared. My wife is Jennifer. I have three kids, nine, seven, and three. Uh, we uh, met in high school. My wife and I did, and um, so we met in Houston, and that's where my parents still are to this day, and that's where we uh, uh, go back for stateside. So I am from Houston originally, but we are now uh, more Chinese than we are American, my entire family, and you'll see in a second what that means. And so for what I'm hoping today is that we use God's Word um, to change everyone, but I'm hoping and my story will at least encourage everyone. That's my hope. So the focus of today is not my story. It's not it's not what we did or what we've been through or anything of that nature. My focus of today is going to be God's word. And I hope that you will hear that in, in your own life. Take that uh, to your own heart and for life change. Because we know God's word is powerful. And so if there's only one thing you remember today. This is the one thing I hope you remember. I live to live for Jesus. And so I want you to say that with me. I live to live for Jesus. Say it again. I live to live for Jesus. So my dad was a pastor and three of my uncles were pastors. I grew up in a Christian household, if you will, right? So we're all Southern Baptists to the core, and that was my upbringing in Texas. And in seeing that life and in in a very blessed house and everything was very good, very stable, wonderful, loving home, I did see, however, how brutal full Uh, can be. And so I knew as a child, one thing I did not want to do when I grew up was be a full-time minister. And if any of you have been full-time minister, and some of you are, you know how difficult and challenging that can be. So I grew up and I wanted to live the American dream, right? So my goal in life when I grew up was to be, I, I loved Jesus and I knew Jesus. I wanted to, uh, to please him, but I really wanted, in addition to that, the American dream. That was my goal. So my goal is to go to college and get a good job and make a lot of money and have a big house and retire early and have 2.5 children and the American dream. That was my objective growing up. So I went to Texas A&M. A university, that's what, that's a family tradition of ours. Everyone goes to Texas A&M. In fact, my parents said when I was applying for university, I said, you can go to any university you want, but we're only going to help you go to Texas A&M. So for me, I only had one application, right? There's no point in filling out another one. And uh, so that's where I went. I became an architect, uh, worked in Houston, uh, third largest educational architecture firm in the world, is very international, loved doing it. And I loved, uh, I just, I love just, uh, ministering to a very international population, um, in that, in the office space that where we work. So you had people from all over the world in one single office space, 
uh, together, and I got to share with them all the time, so I thought it was great. So for us, what we wanted is, we wanted to live Jesus's goals uh, where we were in Houston, but at the same time, I wanted him to also support my goals at the same time. So I had this this wrong understanding of thinking that if I just obeyed the commands of Christ, then he will support my dreams. I had assumed that Jesus was committed to the American dream, and I was wrong. So first I want to go in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. It says this, it's a passage I had read many times, I knew growing up, it's a passage I had memorized as a Bible verse, and growing up in my, as, a, as a child uh, in our household, and it says this, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It sounds like a simple passage. In uh, 2003, I was uh, driving home from a job site. Uh, we had a meeting. I was driving home, and we were fasting uh, at that time. And uh, it was day three of the fast. I don't remember what we were fasting for even, but I just remember one thing. Uh, we were driving home, and God said one thing. God's only spoken to me in a direct way like this only twice in my entire life. This was the second time. He just said a simple, simple statement. He said, I want you to go to Fushun. That was it. I didn't know what that meant. I know I didn't know what Fushun was. I had no idea what was happening, actually. I just knew there was either one of two things happening. Either one, I was going crazy and I needed to eat a sandwich, right? And that would solve my problem. Or God was really saying something. So I called my wife and I told my wife and I said, hey, I think God just told me something. And she said, uh, he just told me something too. I said, okay, well, what did he say? And she said, God said we should go to Fushun. That simple. Okay, do you know where that is? And she said, nope. I'm like, okay, we have a problem, right? So I got home and got on Google, right? Got on Google and just t- I didn't even know how to spell it, right? I'm just trying to spell this word. And so find this city in northeast China. It's a little bitty town in northeast China. He didn't say what to do, though. He didn't say, do you go for a week or a month or a year or forever? He didn't, and he didn't say what to do when you got there. He just said, go. That was it. And when you show up, what are you supposed to do? I, I had no idea. So uh, we told our church, and the pastors of our church prayed for us, and they said, you should contact the IMB. We're a Southern Baptist church, right? So we contacted the International Mission Board, and you should apply to go. Uh, I said, um, I was very spiritual, right? So, uh, So my answer to said proposition was, I'm not qualified. That was, that was my answer, because I knew what that meant. That was full-time ministry, right? So instead of saying, like, the fleshly answer would have been, no, I'm not going to do it, right? I don't want to do that. It's not very spiritual. So instead, I just say, I'm, I'm not qualified. Send somebody else. But in obedience, we applied with the International Mission Board. We sent an application. They sent someone out to interview us, and they come out to interview us. I remember very clearly that day. He showed up and we go to interview. I'm still happy in my job and in our lifestyle and everything that we're doing in our ministry and our church. We're doing short-term missions. Very happy. I wasn't looking for a change. I wasn't looking to do anything different. And he said, why do you want to go with the International Mission Board? And I said, very clearly, I don't. I'm doing this because my pastor said I should apply. I'm not a real missionary. I don't qualify to be a missionary. See, in my head, missionaries were a different breed of human being. They glowed in the dark and they floated around. 
they were not like the rest of us, right? I was like, I'm a very normal guy, right? I walk on two feet. I have to sleep every night. Like, I am not one of the missionaries, right? I'm not one of, I'm not one of those. And uh, so, so don't send me. I don't, I don't qualify to go. In 2005, they sent me to Fushun. So uh, I tried. It didn't work, right? So I remember very clearly. We showed up. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we just knew there's about 1 million people, 1.2 million people. They needed uh, the gospel. We knew that 8 out of 10 had never heard the gospel before. So we didn't know a lot, but we did know this. They at least needed to hear the gospel. But I remember the night, the night of that interview, that first interview with the International Mission Board. That was back in 2003. I remember that night. The next day, in my quiet time, I read this passage. This passage right here. It's part of my quiet time reading, my reading plan. And I remember reading it. It said, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. And I don't know why, but before I'd always missed that. Because in my mind, Jesus died for me, and he rose again so that I would get to go to heaven one day. That was my understanding of this passage. Jesus died for me and rose again so that my sins would be forgiven. And, and that's true. My sins would be forgiven. And yes, one day I do get to go to heaven to be with him forever. Yes, that is, that is true. But that's, this passage says so much more than that. He died for all that those who live should might no longer live for themselves. Humanity, people, all of us naturally are self-centered human beings. But Jesus died for us so we would so no longer be that way. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for the sake died and was raised. And Jesus began convicting me on an area of my life that I had not given to him, that I thought I had. I thought I had. See, at that, life, at that time in my life, people thought I was extreme. Uh, we lived on what we called a 60-40 lifestyle. So my wife and I intentionally gave 60% of our income away, and we lived on 40%. We moved into the ghetto in Houston. We were, uh, everyone thought we were nuts for moving into what was considered a crime-ridden area, but we moved into a ghetto because it was cheap. Uh, the house was cheap. No one wanted to live there. We tried to figure out how to reduce our expenses so much so that we could give all of our money away. People thought we were extreme. We tried to share a gospel in the office and with the people around us. We worked with homeless and we worked with homosexual ministries and we worked with prostitutes and we went overseas and did missions. And I thought I was doing everything Jesus wanted me to do only to find out all I was doing was everything that I found convenient in my own life. But as long as he was committed to my American dream, I was willing to do that for him. What I had failed to realize he wanted it all. That's what I had failed to realize. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I live to live for Jesus. Say it with me. I live to live for Jesus. And when we realize that, and when we orient our life around that, then we truly find purpose, and we find meaning, and we find the fulfillment that God had created us for. And that's what we're going to walk through today. You get on to verse 17, is one of the famous passages you find on bumper stickers, and it's on t-shirts, and things such as that, right? So, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? It's a new creation. The new creation that is now, but not yet, right? The new creation we long for. 
one day forever with Jesus in heaven, worshiping him and being a new creation where there's no more sin and pain and dying and death. Now and not yet, right? We are already new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed and behold, the new has what? Come. Amen? It's not the new is coming one day. In your own life, the new has already come. So you have to realize who we are. If you know Jesus, and I pray that you do, but if you don't, know this. If you don't, the new has not yet come. If you do, know this. In your own life, the new has already come. If you know who you are, then you will know what to do. You are a new creation. If, if you know Jesus. So we went, 2005. It was March 5th, 2005. And the reason I know is it's a day called Leifung Day. So in that part of the world, everyone knows who Leifung is. I had no idea who he was. We showed up and they're like, isn't Leifung great? I'm like, who's Leifung? I don't know who that is. But they, but he is a hero in the local area. And we show up on that day and we knew one thing. Eight out of ten had never heard the gospel before. And we want to make sure they had a chance to hear. Because without the gospel, they have no hope of salvation. There's a small problem, though. It's a small city. It's not an international city by any stretch of the imagination. There are virtually no English speakers in that city. And we did not speak Chinese. So, slight problem. Language barrier. And we had what we had with us was two tracks. Um, and both of them had English and Chinese. There are four spiritual laws in English and Chinese. And uh, so we showed up the first day. And one advantage of being the only Westerner in the whole city is everyone goes, what is that, when they see you? So getting their audience was extremely simple. You just walk outside. The problem is they all walk up and I hear, da, 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 da. It's like, I don't know what they're saying. This is before smartphones and electronic, we had electronic dictionaries, but they, we didn't have one that went from English to Chinese. So I had gone to a bookstore before we had went and bought a big, fat, red dictionary, uh, English-Chinese dictionary. And so I looked up the word for read, which is do. Right? So here, this is going to be, it's going to blow your minds. This is my super complicated, high-tech evangelism strategy. People walk outside, I walk outside, people walk up to me, they want to feel my furry skin, they talk to me, and I say, do? That was my strategy. We know the gospel of God is the power unto salvation, amen? It's definitely not my eloquence, and you're going to see why. So they would come to me and I'd open the first page, right? They're going to talk to me, they're going to say, I mean, it's something, right? I mean, they need something, so... I'd say, do, and they look at it, and they'd read it, and they'd say something. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. So then I go back to my dictionary. I looked up my dictionary and looked up the word for continue. The word for continue is qi su. So my second Chinese word was qi su. So I would say, qi su do. (laughs) That's what we did every day. Our goal is to share with five people a day. Five people. So that's what we did. We shared more than five people every day. And by God's grace and his grace alone, after a month, a group of people had come to faith, which brought us to a new crisis because we only had one strategy, right? And now we had to disciple them somehow. I was like, I don't know what to do next, right? I don't even know how to get a Bible. We didn't even know how to get a Bible in that area. Getting a Bible turns out to be this massive bureaucratic process at that time in that place. But I struggled. 
See, in my economy, I always focus on efficiency and productivity, profitability. That was my focus. And then in my worldview, this idea that God would take a white guy from Texas who knows nothing of China or no Chinese and sends him to Northeast China where nobody knows anything of America or anything English or anything Western made no sense. I could not understand it. It did not fit my rational thinking brain. Why would God do this? It doesn't, it doesn't work. Why? There are, look, there's so many Chinese in America. Look at the room. The, I was just in the Mandarin service. Right? There's 200 Chinese speakers in that room over there. Why did he send them? Why would he send me? I was already in a thriving situation and we had a thriving ministry and pulled me out of that and sent me to this place where I know nobody. Then in addition to that, my wife got sick in our first month there. And in the States, we were very healthy. We arrive in China and we become sick. Very polluted, heavy industry, coal mining town, and we got sick. So the school would take us to a doctor and doctor spoke Chinese, and then they gave us medicine, and the medicine was written in Chinese. I don't even know what to do with this stuff, right? I don't know what I'm doing, and I had to figure this out somehow, and it was a struggle. Our first three and a half years was nothing but torture and torment, it seemed like, while we were there. Constant miscommunication, constant misunderstanding, constant scrutiny. My wife was sick. We could not have children. And all the while, my friends and family in the States who loved us intensely were saying, why are you staying? Life is good in America. Why are you over there? And I was like, I don't know. There's only one reason. Because he said so. So from that, I want to go to the second passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Passages we're extremely familiar with. Verse 8 and 9. Says this For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Amen? Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now, I know this passage backwards and forwards. For whatever reason, though, I had always overlooked verse 10. I always focused on God's grace. I'm saved by His grace, and that is absolutely unchanging. So that I can't boast, right? It's not by my works. It's not like God said, man, Jared, he's pretty awesome. I think I'll save him. It was not like that at all. I had no merit in and of myself that God would save me. I have nothing to boast about. But overlook verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Brothers and sisters, if uh, if this doesn't help inform you of your value, I don't know what I don't know what does. For we are his workmanship. If you know Jesus, you, not the things you do, but you are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For what? Good works. Amen? Now think of what that means, though. You are saved by grace to do good works. That's what that means. 
Again, this busted my worldview. I was doing good works when I was in America, and then when I was in China. I was doing good works, but I was doing my good works in hopes that would appease him somehow. And I'd find greater value in my productivity and the things that I do. That somehow my value would come from my ministry and the results of what we do. Only to see, I am his workmanship and I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But look at the next phrase there. What does it say? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, in my worldview, it made no sense that God would take a white guy from Houston who knew no Chinese and sends him to China where they need to hear the gospel, but I can't speak Chinese. It doesn't make any sense. But then I have to realize, I am his workmanship. I am created in Christ Jesus to do good works, but not any random good works. Only the good works he's prepared in advance for me to do, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I began to realize, okay, God called us, right? He called us, I mean, the calling was, ultra clear for us. And I'm convinced it was so clear so we wouldn't give up. It was very clear where we were supposed to go. So we gave up everything. I had a very promising career and a good life and everything in the States. Quit all of that and moved to China, to a place, a little bitty town with, at that time, 70% unemployment. All the locals thought we were nuts. Like, we want to go to where you came from. Why would you come here? Then my family back in the States saying, why are you over there? Why don't you come back? And my old boss saying, why are you over there? Why don't you come back? Your job is waiting for you. And before I had money. And then I go to do, when you're in missions, you don't do it for the money, right? So you go to China, I have no money. And in the States, I was healthy. And in China, I was not healthy. In the States, I had friends. And in China, because of language barriers, I didn't have friends those first few years. And in China, I had family. I mean, America had family. And in China, I, I, I didn't. And like it was as night and day as you could imagine. And I could not understand it. And my economy and my logical brain, it made no sense. It made no sense. But I am saved. You are saved to do good works because you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. God saved you to do good works that he prepared for you in advance. So think of this, all the good works that you are supposed to do in your life, God has already prepared them for you. We're going to see in a minute how to find them. Like, What are they? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? What is my role in all of this? Say it with me. I live to live for Jesus. I live to live For Jesus, God saved you if you are saved. If you're not saved, today is your chance to know Jesus. But if you are, know this, that God saved you to do good works that God created just for you to do. But here's the contrast. You can't do them. We're going to see that in a little bit too. He created you saved you to do good works that you must do, but you can't 
to him. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. The passage has already been mentioned a couple times today. You can't come talk about missions and not mention this passage, right? It's the Great Commission. We knew this. We got to Fushun. We need to share the gospel. But God's goal is more than share the gospel. His goal is more than everyone hear the gospel. It's bigger than that. We have to keep that in focus at all times. So in our first term, we knew we had a 1 million people. They needed to hear the gospel. Eight out of ten they never heard before. There's a much smaller population that knew Jesus. We didn't know them when we got there. At first, though, we did meet some eventually, but we didn't know when we first when we first got there. And Jesus says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So look at the center point, the main verb. If you were to go back and look at the original, the main verb that drives this entire thing is the one that says, make disciples. It's qualified by of all nations. The rest of the verbs in there are all supporting verbs. The grammar in it works to help you understand the point of it all is to make disciples of all nations. There's two aspects, quality and quantity. We are to make disciples, so disciples are not made overnight, right? It doesn't. It takes more than a prayer and a baptism to become a disciple. There's more to it. You have to, it takes blood, sweat, and tears to grow disciples. There's a quality to the process, but at the same time, though, it's all nations. It's a quantity to the process as well. So we wanted to work with Local churches, we wanted, if there were no churches, to start local churches that are, that can completely be able to be healthy and multiply. So the problem was, I was never been part of a Chinese house church before, before I went to China. So it's a little bit of a problem learning to plant one when you've never been a part of one. I'd seen Chinese churches, but I had never seen Chinese house churches until I got there. Big difference. It was a big difference. But we want them to be healthy, right? Healthy and multiply. That was our goal. Make disciples of all nations. So our first four and a half years we were there. We got to see seven churches started. Began to partner with other churches in the area. Uh, about 10,000 people got to hear the gospel. There were about 180 baptized brand new believers in these churches. Then we found some existing churches that were there that we started working with and partnering with and, and seeing how we could bless and love and serve and push them to do everything God's called them to do. Then at the end of our first term, we came back to America, still had no kids. My wife was still sick, hadn't figured out the reason for her sickness. Later on, we discovered it was because of endometriosis. And uh, it was because of that, she was having all of her pain and struggles and sickness. But that was also preventing her from being able to have children. Ironically, though, the only known cure for endometriosis is to get pregnant and have children. Right? It's a little bit of a problem. We'd always wanted to adopt. And then we get back to America, and a month later... Um, we get a notification from the Beijing uh, Adoption Center, I guess how you translate that, Shoyang Zhongxin is what it's called, saying, hey, your kid's waiting for you. So we went back to China. As soon as we got back to America, we went back to China and picked him up, and as our oldest son, his name is Sterling. Sterling Creed is his name. We finished our adoption. We had letters from five different doctors in five different countries Staying, my wife could not have children. There's no way she could have children. Got in his sense of humor, though. We finished the adoption. Two days later, my wife thinks she's sick. Turns out she's pregnant. Just how he how he works, right? He works in mighty and mysterious ways. We have 
Uh, our second one, we're as excited as can be. We have two kids now. We're, we're pumped and just ready to go. And we come back, uh, move to a different city inside of China, move there, and begin working. How do we partner with local churches helping me healthy and multiplying? How can we equip everyone so that everyone has a chance to hear the gospel? And there are cities after cities after cities with no gospel witness in that part of the country. And then we're thinking, there's UPGs and UUPGs everywhere. So UPGs are unreached people groups. And there's massive ones all over the place. And then there's UUPGs, which means unengaged, unreached, People groups just means they have no gospel literature and no churches and no believers who can share the gospel in their mother tongue in a way that they can understand and be able to come to faith. And there's hundreds of them inside of China and there's thousands of them around the world. And we're just thinking, we got to get going. I mean, there's a lot of work left to be done. Two billion people have never heard the gospel on planet Earth. There's a lot of work left. So we go back just ready and excited and we just want to equip the church to make disciples and equip everyone to share the gospel because a disciple is a disciple maker that's what the disciple means a disciple is to become like jesus and jesus was a disciple maker that means every single believer their job is to personally make disciples it's not the pastor's job it's our job everyone's job to make disciples. And so we wanted to do that. So we meet churches and begin training with them and working with them. And how can we equip them? And we have tools and how to be reproducible and sustainable and healthy all at the exact same time. And how do we do church in such a way in a closed environment where we're not allowed to do what we're doing so that the gospel can spread throughout the country. And that's exactly what we did. And so from 2010 to 2015, God just brought church after church after church to us. And there's no way to find them, right? And that place is they're not on the internet. You just find them by knowing people. During that time, we got to train thousands and thousands of house church leaders. During that time frame, 2.5 million people got to hear the gospel, most of them for the very first time. 48,000 people came to faith and were baptized, and about 700 new churches were started during that same time frame. Church expanded rapidly in that area, all the while focusing on how can we train everyone to share the gospel, everyone to make disciples. And some of those disciples to form into churches, and for some of them who God has called to be leaders, to be leaders in those churches, and those churches to form together to be able to send their own missionaries into the harvest so it's not just a foreigner thing. So the locals are doing it with us, and we're all doing it together. That's the end goal. That's what we wanted to see, and we got to see it, and we gave, we poured our life into the work there. We poured our lives into the brothers and sisters in that area, and we held nothing back. We gave everything, everything to them. We realized for many of them in the area of the country where we were working, most of them are first-generation Christians and had never seen a Christian household ever in their entire life. And so he realized you gotta, the first Corinthians 11, one principle, to follow my examples, I follow the example of Christ. The only way they can see a family is not by doing a training, but by seeing it. So we opened our door and just let everyone come as they wanted, and we had people in our home all the time. Dying to self. It's, my wife's an introvert, so she didn't want people all the time there. That's what we decided we need to do as a family, and so we did. In 2013, we had 1,600 different house church pastors come to our home. They come through for counseling and training and teaching. Some just come watch and see what we do and interact with our kids. And we gave everything to the local area, the full intent of hoping that by pouring into them, they can then turn around and do the same for those that are around them. Blessed to be a blessing. And that's what we did. 
We developed a love for the place. We developed a love for the people that we didn't have before. That first four and a half years is easily the hardest and most brutal and most bitter time of my entire life. I would never take it back, though. It was during that time that spiritually I grew more than I ever grew before. It was during that time that I was refined in ways I never would have been refined otherwise. It was during that time that I finally sacrificed my American dream. And God replaced it with a dream that was infinitely bigger than anything the United States could ever give me. It was during that time many of our Chinese brothers and sisters also sacrificed the Chinese dream. And are willing to replace it with a dream that God had given them that was infinitely bigger. See, before I thought I was an architect. I still have my license. I still use my license. But it turns out I'm not an architect. Later on, I thought I was a missionary. I thought I was a fake missionary for all those years, and then I thought I was a real missionary. Only to find out I'm not a missionary. I do missions, though. What I am is a child of the king. What I do is whatever he says. That's it. No conditions, no strings. And when I finally gave it all up, when I finally gave him everything, it all started making sense. You see, as a child, I always grew up with this passage. <clears throat> My dad, being a pastor, we always grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and every December we always had a Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and we always talked about missions, and we gave to missions, and we supported missions, and, you, and we heard from missionaries, kind of like you're doing today. And in my mind, though, the Great Commission was the great burden of something we have to fulfill because God told us to fulfill it. But I never saw it as a joy. But then I finally realized something. When I gave it all up, when I gave up all my hopes and dreams, everything I wanted for myself, knowing that his hopes and dreams for me are infinitely better than anything I could ever want anyway, then it started to make sense. The Great Commission turned from the great burden to the great blessing. You see, because God doesn't need any of us to fulfill it. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. It's like he gave the Great Commission to us because he couldn't figure out how he was going to get it done. God could fulfill it all by himself. But if he did, he would rob you and he'd rob me of the blessing of getting to see him move in our midst. I got to know God in ways I never thought I would have known him. By going to a place that I never would have gone on my own. It never was my plan to go to the little coal mining town of Fushun in northeast China. A place where the locals would rather not be themselves. That was never my plan. My plan would have been to try to mobilize all the Chinese in America to try to send them over. That would have been my plan. Because that makes sense, logically. God's plan is totally different than our plan. See, I always prayed when I first got, I remember when I first got there, I was like, man, God could just totally fix this situation. This is what I prayed. I prayed God would do. He never did it, but I always ask God to do this. I always ask God to show up in the sky and just say, hey, I'm God. And there was like, oh, there he is, right? And then he shares the gospel and they all believe and I'm done, right? Woohoo, I'm finished. I can go home. He never did that. He could. He could do that. He chose not to do that. He chose to do the Great Commission through you and through me. By doing so, we get to experience him and, and know him more. 
So say it with me. I live to live for Jesus. The final passage I want you to consider before we're done is in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now notice this, what it says. It says, looking to Jesus. NIV says, fixing our eyes on on Jesus. It's easy to fix our eyes on the challenges before us or fix our eyes on the church or fix our eyes on, in my case, a mission agency or fix our eyes on the resources around us, the lack thereof. It's easy to fix our eyes on culture around us or, and all of those things will fail us, every single one of them. It tells us very specifically who to fix our eyes on. We fix our eyes on who? Jesus. Amen. We fix our eyes on Jesus and here's why. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He never changes. He's unwavering. We fix our eyes on him. But notice what we get to do in the process. We fix our eyes on Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, which is why he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And then look at verse 1. Our task is extremely simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. The good news is all of us are born with eight-pound brains, extremely finite. We can't handle truly complex things. That's God's job. We're very simple. So let's just be simple. Here's what it says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Unfortunately, most of us, including myself, spend most of our time trying to figure out what the race is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What's God's will for me? I mean, where am I supposed to work? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to school? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The race is already set. Remember, God saved you to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. All of those works revolve around the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. God is committed to finishing the Great Commission. He's not committed to our American dream. Our job is easy. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we run. That's it. You don't have to be intelligent to know how to do that. Focus on Jesus and run. Now there's three things we have to do in order to be able to run. So I leave these with you to challenge you throughout the rest of this week to look in your own heart. Are there issues here that you need to resolve? First is I need to lay aside every weight. Second is I need to lay aside every sin which clings so closely. And the third, I have to run with perseverance. The third thing is perseverance. Why perseverance? Because the race is not easy. What we do is simple, but it's not easy. You cannot do what God has called you to do. Only when you're dependent on the Holy Spirit and your brothers and sisters around you can you finally do what God has called you to do. But you have to do it with perseverance. But there's two things that prevent us. I watch it over and over and over and over again that prevent us from doing the race that God has called for us. Sin is obvious because the Bible describes it very clearly what sin is. That one's obvious. And it clings so closely, entangles us, preventing us from doing the things God calls us to do. 
But we have the power with Christ in us to lay it all aside. I find the first aspect, though, to be the one that's the most cunning. It's the most crafty. It's the one that gets us more so than sin. It's the every weight. Lay aside every weight. And I have found anything can become a weight. My education, my lifestyle, my family, my ministry, my church, anything can become a weight. I can use anything as an excuse to doing, to prevent me from doing what God has called me to do. Lay aside doesn't mean lay aside responsibility, but it does mean lay aside every weight that prevents us from running the race that God has called you to do. Is there any weight in your own life that is preventing you from running the race that God has called you to run? Is there any sin in your own life that's preventing you from running the race that God has called you to run? Are you persevering or are you quitting from running the race that God's called you to run? Remember, all you have to do is focus on Jesus and run. Not walk, not skip, not jump, not ride a motorcycle. We run. We run. So suddenly, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, actually, about four years ago, I was detained and interrogated and things such as that. I was allowed out. And then it happened again about a year and a half ago. Then we were kicked out, so we were no longer allowed to return to our place of service. It was very difficult for our family emotionally to go through all of that, for my kids especially, who love, love, love China and love being there and ministering to the people there. We can't be there anymore. But we have many teams who are there and working with them. I cannot go in, but they can come out. And so now we're basing our operations out of uh, Taiwan now, working with the churches in Taiwan. So you can pray for us as we're doing that, doing the exact same things we did inside of China. We want to bless and love and serve them and push them to do everything God's called them to do. The good news is inside the country, we got to see millions hear the gospel and tens of thousands come to faith and hundreds and thousands now of churches started, thousands of pastors raised up. And the last piece we wanted to see before we left was the local church being able to, on their own, support and send and train their own missionaries and send them alongside of us into the harvest, not depending on foreign money to get it done. And that's exactly what we saw in our last three years. We've seen now several hundred uh, local missionaries sent out, both inside the country and outside of the country, targeting UUPGs and UPGs in various parts of the world. So you can pray for our local partners who are inside the country, who are trying to work this endeavor of sending their own in a closed environment where what they're doing is not even allowed to be done. So you can pray for them in that. You can pray for us in our family as we are trying to uh, resettle. We actually moved back to Taiwan in four days' time. And the last thing on here is uh, prayer resources. I wanted to tell you about real quick is uh, one is there's a prayer guide inside your envelope that you got here. This is a year long prayer guide. And so it will have a what to do each month for various uh, projects that are happening around East Asia. So it's not just China, it's all of East Asia. Inside here is also a UUPG prayer guide. This is, there's four of these. This is the fourth one. These are people groups that are inside here that have no access to the gospel and they have no gospel literature in their mother tongue. They would never be able to hear the gospel without direct intentional engagement. And finally, just an introduction to East Asian peoples, and there's a small one inside there for other projects inside as well. So I hope that you'll pray for us. Also, uh, my email address is jdavis2, number two, at pobox.com. If you want to receive prayer updates, you can just send me an email. I think many of you have our prayer card was distributed out. Our email address is on the bottom of that, and we just ask that you pray for us, and we'd love to put you on our prayer list. Again, it is an honor to be with you today, and a thank you, and God bless you.